hrgrapevine.com. It is the HR Grapevine podcast. I'm Eric Niewerowski. Thank you for listening. This week, I want to talk about neurodiversity in the workplace, what it means for HR, and what HR teams and business leaders can do to really support our neurodiverse colleagues when it comes to working, but also when it comes to talent, attraction, and retention. And it is a very important topic because it's estimated that one in seven people in the UK have some sort of neurodiversity. And of that, 50% of people go undiagnosed. So what does that mean for HR? Well, a study from the Harvard Business Review suggests that teams with neurodivergent professionals in roles can be 30% more productive than those without them. And inclusion and integration of neurodivergent professionals can also boost team morale. So to help me navigate how HR can approach neurodivergency in the workplace. I'm thrilled to be joined by Rebecca Martin. She is the SVP of Reward and Inclusion at AstraZeneca. And the firm has done quite an amazing job through different campaigns and programs and initiatives to really support their neurodiverse colleagues. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Rebecca. Hi, nice to meet you, Eric. I'm Rebecca Martin. I'm Head of Reward and Inclusion at AstraZeneca. I've been with AstraZeneca for 10 years. I started out in science, actually. That was my first degree. Then I qualified as a lawyer, uh, moved into employment law. I'm fascinated by people and psychology, and that's what ultimately drew me into the HR space. And in my role, leading on reward and inclusion, there's an enormous opportunity to make a difference for all of the people that work at AstraZeneca. So I'm very happy to be able to share with you a little perspective on that today. Well, great. Thanks. And from, from science to law to HR, we could probably do a whole nother episode just on, on, on your journey. Maybe we'll save that for a uh, later show. But I wanted to talk to you today. I want to talk about uh, neurodivergency in the workplace. It's something that is important to me as my partner is ne- neurodivergent. She's lucky enough to work at a large organization that supports her. Um, and they have a committee and all of that, but she's not as so lucky, right? And I'm sure uh, there's a lot of people in that uh, sort of sphere. In fact, today we came across a LinkedIn post from someone who probably advertised that they're neurodivergent, but we're having trouble landing even a job interview, which is odd to us, which is odd to me because we're in this time of this great resignation, right? So you'd think that uh, candidates, uh, experienced qualified candidates would have no problem even landing interviews. So with all of that in mind, all of my backstory, why is it important to include neurodivergent people in the workforce? So I think this is such an important question. And um, and if I reflect on AstraZeneca as a company, we're all about what science can do. And fundamentally, we need to be able to innovate at our best so that we can bring forward the next generation of medicines to patients that need it. So we have to be able to innovate. We have to be able to problem solve. We need to be creative. No single individual does that on their own. It's about the power of a team. And it's having diverse thinking happening in teams, people who are thinking differently, challenging the status quo, in an environment where they're listened to, heard, their ideas are built upon. That's what can make us most successful. And so as I think about neurodiversity, this is absolutely square in the message of why it's important for a company like ours, because the individuals who would identify as being um, neurodiverse 
absolutely are bringing something different. They have incredible talent and skills and creating an environment where they can thrive in the workplace uh, means that we're going to really get the best out of that different thinking. So this is why it is absolutely fundamental. And I, I heard um, somebody speak on this topic today um, and they shared something which, which really resonated with me, which is that we are all neurodiverse because this is at the end of the day a spectrum, but we're not all marginalized by it. And I mm -hmm. think recognizing that um, for individuals who either have not yet had a diagnosis or have had a diagnosis, there will also be um, potentially feelings of needing to hide that, um, which right. they may also be experiencing. And the more we can do to anticipate um, the, the challenges that people will face, 15 to 20% of the world um, would, would qualify as being at the sort of the, the ends of this spectrum. The more that we can do to anticipate that, make people feel welcome, the more successful we will be together. Um, so it's, it's the right thing to do. Of course it is, but it's the right thing to do for business and for success. Yeah, you brought up a lot of great points there. And I, I'm, I'm really drawn to that quote that you just shared. I, I, I want to just ask a quick follow-up to that. Uh, you had said 15 to 20% of people identify as this, as some sort of neurodivergency. Can you just give a quick definition for those who might not really understand what the term neurodivergent means, please? Absolutely. So it's about um, brains that are um, processing, receiving, or um, interpreting information in a different way. So that could include um, things like uh, dyslexia, could be ADHD, it could be autism, it could be dyscalculia, so that one uh, relating to numbers. Um, but these are um, a, a range of ways in which the, the, the healthy brain um, is going to be operating in a different way um, that gives people certain challenges to overcome, um, things that they're not so good at, but they actually have a, a wide range of gifts that are also associated with that condition. Right, right. I think it's really important to, to, to note to all of the listeners today is that neurodivergent, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that term. And it's, 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 um, it, it just means a lot to me uh, living with someone who, who does ID that way. So um, really big kudos to, to you and, and the rest of AstraZeneca for, for taking on this, this initiative. Um, so along with that, within the HR role, what is the role of HR in fostering an inclusive culture where neurodivergent people feel they belong, not only belong, but also make a meaningful contribution? Mm. I think it's a really key role, actually. I mean, there's a huge role that HR can do in fostering psychologically safe environments. And mm -hmm. safety is, is a really important word here because we have um, in different societies and in different countries around the world, you know, there is a different, um, there's a different level of, um, from acceptance to being welcoming of individuals who would identify as having a, a neurodiverse condition. But in these uh, different places around the world, what's important is that people feel safe to be themselves, to be able to disclose that they have um, you know, these experiences so that we can ensure um, that our employment environments and our teams are creating ways in which 
these aren't barriers to participation, to bringing mm-hmm. forward the thinking. Um, and it may be that people need particular technologies to support them to be successful. It may be um, flexibility over, over where and when they work, the environments that they work in. But this is something which also HR has a role in, as well as helping those individuals in the organisation who are managers to anticipate these things and effectively have like an anticipatory welcome of uh, of people, uh, all diversity that we have in the organisation. So I think HR plays a huge role. And uh, another phrase from, from, from today, and maybe we'll talk about why, why I have these phrases top of mind at the moment, but yeah. another phrase from, from someone I heard today was that um, organisations move at the speed of trust. Right. And so this is where creating that psychological safety is a really fundamental um, driver of fostering inclusion in the workplace and ensuring that we can make the best of the opportunity that diversity presents to us. And neurodiversity is an exact example of that. Yeah, that's great. Again, I'd like to ask a follow up to that. Uh, You know, when we talk about an inclusive work culture, from your perspective, do you and the rest of the HR team at AstraZeneca pay equal attention to all of these different different groups that impact how the business functions? Recognizing that diversity has so many different facets to it. There are so many different kinds of diversity. And there's also a really important principle of intersectionality. So, you know, uh, no, no individual should be defined by a label because everybody's going to have a different set of experiences a different um they're looking at, at life through their own window on the world and, and we have to appreciate that so when you think about the the vast array of opportunities that there are for us to appreciate the differences that people are bringing i think that there is um one important message which is absolutely being valued for the difference that you bring and looking out and appreciating the differences that others bring as a just kind of uh, that that across everything. And then when I look at the different kinds of diversity, there are some um, types of diversity which are easier to go after because you right. know what you should what good looks like. If I take you know women representation in leadership, it's it's ready it readily understandable that you'd be looking for a balance between the sexes of men versus women, 50% at all levels of the organization. That one's easy. You also have the data around that one. So it's possible, you know, because we have to have it for um you know delivery of employment benefits, it's possible for us to be able to understand what do we look like as an organization and how we're going to get better. So some are easier to go after. That's not to say others aren't important, but they're just more difficult right. to get at. So I think that's where um, the, the first point that I would make. And then the second point is perhaps the distinction between differences which are visible um, and differences which are not. Because differences which are visible um, are really important when I think about um, the opportunity to ensure that they're we are role modeling in terms of the the access to opportunities and having senior leaders. People can enter an organization and see somebody that looks like them. Mm -hmm. That is also important. But the ones which are not visible um, and and neurodiversity can be exactly this, that there is also a risk that there is stigma associated with that aspect of diversity. And for me, my personal passion is to go to those ones. Where is the stigma? And what can we do to break down the stigma? Because if you can get at that, if you can prioritize that to some degree, then that's where we're going to be able to really move the needle because we can uh, you know, embrace the, the cultural change that we're looking to see. 
Yeah, that's great. And it leads perfectly into my next next uh, question where I, I was going to mention neurodiversity isn't number one, it's not a monolith, right? As you mentioned, there's many different uh, forms of it, but also it is invisible where we don't, when you look at someone, you don't know that they might have some sort of neurodiversity within them. So how can, with that in mind, and I think you kind of mentioned it there in, in, in addressing that stigma that goes along with it, but how can organizations support neurodiversity uh, within the workplace? So I can give you an example of this, and um, it's thinking about it from the other end of the telescope. So mm. instead of having an expectation on people um, that they will disclose, um, and I mean, I would encourage people to disclose because it can help us to bring us that insight, mm -hmm. but instead of, in, instead of necessarily expecting people to, because there are also people who perhaps haven't had a diagnosis, um, but have, uh, you know, the, these sorts of um, symptoms and, and conditions that they live with. Right. Um, in that in that context, instead, just anticipating that the world is diverse, that there yeah. will be this proportion of people which will have um, a different, their brains will be working in a different way. And then thinking about it from the perspective of, you know, how do we read, write, process information in 2022? Because I don't know anybody, whether you're more neurotype neurotypical or not mm -hmm. who's going to want a 50 page um tightly printed um you know book to read when it when it's a paper about something which actually we need to kind of simplify and streamline so if we think yeah. about it from the perspective of the majority and actually can we make things easier for and more accessible for everyone then you are also going to be benefiting those members of the community who who, who are at the sort of the outer reach of the spectrum yeah. So now it's my turn to share a quote and they, they, they weren't as eloquent as yours from before, but uh, you know, my partner said within her organization and, and the, the neurodiverse committee that she's a part of, it's less about HR teams catering the process to someone with the neurodiversity rather than making their policies and their work, you know, their sort of workflows uh, for everyone. Just for that reason that you had just said, no one wants a 32-page PDF to read. No one wants a 200-slide PowerPoint presentation. You know, I've I've been through all that, so those that that's really interesting. So when it comes to, and and again, another quick follow-up on that. You mentioned diagnosed, right? We're in, especially when you look at uh, maybe not so much the Gen Z that's coming up in the workforce now, but if you look at millennials where I bridged the gap, I'm 40. So I'm right in, depending on how I feel that day, I'm either a millennial or a Gen Xer. I think today I'm a millennial because I got these cool new glasses, um, <laughs> but my favorite band's Pearl Jam. So I'm definitely still a Gen Xer, right? So, but, but for us in this, you know, generation, showing signs of neurodiversity as a kid meant you were. Uh, lazy or you were had too much sugar. So often issues, these sorts of things were misdiagnosed. I, I, I mean, I, I, again, to be anecdotal here, I had a college roommate who wasn't diagnosed with his learning disability, which would now be considered a neurodivergency uh, until college, until we were freshmen at uni and his whole life changed. So along with that, many of us who, who are on you know, exhibit some sort of, you know, neurodivergence, we're not diagnosed, right? Mm -hmm. So how does that factor in the diagnosed versus undiagnosed? And I, first of all, just to echo what you're describing there, I mean, one in two of the students in the UK who are excluded from school, so usually mm -hmm. 
um, on behavioural grounds that you would get an exclusion from school, half of those individuals will be neurodivergent. So it starts really early. And um, in terms of the, the experiences of marginalization and then where that can lead, because you're going to have be compromised in terms of your ability to access education and therefore, you know, get those pieces of paper, which um, which the world is still obsessed about as having when yeah. it comes to being able to prove. Um, it reminds me of the Wizard of Oz, whether you've yeah. got the piece of paper, you know, to prove what, prove what you can do. Exactly. So, I, so I think I think that there is. Um, definitely I recognize that that's a challenge um, and I think what what employers should be looking to do is to make sure that in terms of the 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 route routes into companies mm-hmm. are um ones which are uh we're, we're removing any barriers that might exist there as well and we're really thinking about that to, to be able to make a difference and I think encouraging um uh, individuals into STEM subjects for an organization like AstraZeneca. I mean, this is something which actually uh, individuals who, who, who would be it, perhaps have challenges with the English language, for example, whether that's um, dyslexia or, or, or other things, they may be drawn to scientific subjects. So this means that perhaps we've, we've got a real opportunity in our hands because we've got all of this potential sitting, uh, right. you know, doing doing those um, those studies which are going to lend themselves to a career in an organisation like ours. So I think we can perhaps create an opportunity out of that within within our company. Yeah. So let's let, let's move along to that. Let's talk about AstraZeneca. Uh, you had mentioned before. So we're recording this uh, during Neurodivergent Week. Uh, you've come jam-packed with some amazing quotes that you had heard today. Do you want to talk really briefly about where you were earlier today? Yes. So today was the um, official launch of neurodiversity in business. So I've just come from um, the UK Houses of Parliament, where we had a range of fabulous speakers. We had cross-party representation in terms of the uh, members of the Houses of Parliament who were all expressing their support for this really um, important beginning of a conversation actually because this is um AstraZeneca is one of the the founding members of neurodiversity in business but it's a group which is going to come together frequently to explore areas of opportunity and to learn from one another and to be open to um learning about how we can all do better um to be a force for good in the world um both both in broader society but importantly recognizing the difference this can make in business so it's a, a really um it was a great event and lots of thought-provoking content, so plenty for me to be able to download with you today. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so just my final question then, what? how is AstraZeneca encouraging a diverse talent pipeline? So there's, there's a, a range of things that we do. So understanding our own diversity is a starting point, and I think that that's a conversation which needs to take place with every hiring manager. What is the mixture you have in your group? What maybe are you missing? Um, and and so that's the, the first thing. It's kind of getting the light bulb moment in the manager's head that's about to go into a hiring process. I think that there are roots in terms of the um, accessibility of our recruitment processes, which we've kind of touched on a little bit, which are, of course, important. And then the other thing that we do is make sure in terms of the interview stage, we have diverse interview panels. So that means that you interview with it, with someone else, someone who is not like you. So you're getting a different perspective um, at the at the sort of decision making table. And so we have the the recruitment processes, which we can do things around to make sure that we've got um, good accessibility. We're thinking about diversity in its broadest sense, as well as in the obvious senses. 
Um, and then we're bringing diverse talent into the organization. But really importantly, it's about where we have great diversity. So let's make sure that we've got the right environment where it can thrive, it can feel welcome, and people won't join us and then leave because they either don't see people like them or they don't feel that they have or they feel that they have to wear a mask when they're in work, shield, pretend they're something they're not, hide these conditions which they might otherwise be, we might be able to help them with. Um, and that's a really critical component of ensuring that the diversity you bring in, you can also develop and pull through um, into increasingly senior positions. And I must call out, because they are absolutely fantastic, the employee resource groups at AstraZeneca. Yes. We yes. have one neurodiversity, it's called our Think Group. I attended Parliament today with two members, the co-chairs of our um, think group. And the work of the employee resource groups is amazing because they can really open the eyes of the business and of HR to things that we could do differently. Um, and I think that they are uh, a real fundamental to driving change. Rebecca Martin from AstraZeneca, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Well, once again, I just want to give a huge thanks to Rebecca Martin, the SVP of Reward and Inclusion at AstraZeneca for helping us unpack what HR teams, what business leaders can do to really support and uplift our colleagues with neurodiversity. As I mentioned a couple times during the interview, and I think it's really important to stress again, neurodiversity is not an illness. It is a condition and it should not hold back anyone. It's not a monolith, there's many different forms of it, and it's also not visible. So it's so important for HR teams to really recognize our colleagues that have neurodivergence and really, really allow them to live their true selves at work. Because ultimately, when any employee can be their true selves and succeed at work, it's ultimately just better for the business. So thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. And we will talk to you next time.